Shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors.
Thank you. You may be seated. Oh, he is great, isn't he? Amen. Praise the Lord. That blesses me. My heart's already blessed this morning. Good to have all of you here. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And if you are visiting with us today, we'd appreciate so much if you take the guest card that's in the guest packet that we gave to you, fill it out, drop an offering plate. We want to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us, and we'll get you some information this week about the church, but we're certainly thrilled and pleased to have all of you with us. Good to have Steve and Tammy with us this morning, some of our old strays, and good to have them back this morning. Always good to have them in the services. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. Uh, faith begins Thursday night. We're excited about faith. This will be our fourth semester of faith, and uh, we rejoice at the third semester, but a fall semester, we say four. It's really our fall semester, but our fourth semester, we've actually had it. We have over 70 folk that will be participating in faith this fall, and we're excited about that. That starts Thursday night, 6 o'clock. Bible conference is just a few weeks away, the third Sunday of September. Uh, beginnings, uh, begins our conference and homecoming that day. A lot of great things. We're excited about that. And then let me just say a word about your giving this morning. Hey, you like for me to talk about giving, don't you? I appreciate that. That's why I talk so much about it, because I get so many notes and cards and calls saying, Preacher, you don't say enough about giving, and so that's why I do it. So I want you to be happy. But uh, we're excited about all the things that's going on, and I want to encourage you now to do uh, several things. Uh, as you know, we're in the, in the very early stages of planning and preparing to build the new auditorium, and uh, that's somewhere down the road, but there's a lot of things we've got to do to get there. Uh, we're beginning uh, with Kogan Industries out of Charlotte, North Carolina, to draw our master plan up and different things like that. As soon as we get that completed, we'll share that with you and show you what is going on, and you'll understand a little bit more about how things will go. But uh, one of the things that is so critical is your giving. Now, we give because it's right to give. You give because you want to obey the Lord. That's the ultimate objective of all of your giving, is that you want to give to the Lord, giving every week. But I want to encourage you to obey the Lord in your giving every week. We need everybody to give. We need everybody to tithe. We need everybody to tithe every week and to be faithful in giving and to give to the Lord. I promise you one thing, God will bless you for doing so. I promise you that. That's what the Bible says. Amen? I'm not saying God will send you a pink Cadillac or whatever there, but I do know this, God will bless you. But in this thing, I appreciate everybody's giving last week, our double tithe Sunday. It was a blessing. We have two more of those left this year, two field Sundays and in 2001. And our goal is to reach $100,000 by the end of this year. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're shooting for. We're over 36000 now in just three, four weeks since we started talking about this. So we're excited about that. believe we can reach it. But I want to encourage you to tithe every week and to give to God every Sunday. Don't let a week go by. Just make it a priority in your life. One, you're going to do what the Lord wants you to do in your giving. And God will bless you for that. And then many of you, I know many are already doing this, but I want to encourage you to pray about not only your tithing, tithe and your offering, but maybe a special gift every week to the building fund. And I've been doing that for a number of weeks, and I'm increasing mine today, and that I'm going to give every week to the building fund. And I want to encourage many of you to do that. Someone asked me this morning about how to do it. Uh, if you use the little boxes that we give out the first of the year, you have a place for church expense, missions, building fund. Just put the amount in the section building fund that you want to go directly to the building fund, and that's where it will go. 
And if you have a, an envelope that don't have building fund, just write on there how much of this you want to go to the building fund. And when they go through the envelopes there, they'll distinguish that and put it in the building fund. But let me encourage all of you to give. I know the Lord will bless you. I'm excited about it, aren't you? And the more you give and the faithfulness in your giving, the quicker we'll be ready to start. It's a long process, the kind of building, because the kind of building we're going to be putting up, it's not going to be just a little building. It will be a large building. And uh, so it is a long process just getting ready uh, to get there. But uh, you give every week. And the more you give and your faithfulness in giving will enable us to get it started much quicker. Father, bless the offering today. Thank you for the privilege of being able to give to you. Lord, we give because we love you. We give because we want to obey you. But Father, we are thrilled about the special reasons that we give to you today, such as our building and all the things that are going on. Father, we believe that you are leading us and we thank you for that. We know you'll provide. As the old saying goes, Lord, where you guide you provide. So bless the offering today. Bless his service in Jesus' name. Amen.
now this old world in such confusion. See, hearts are failing everywhere. And sometimes it seems that God, He just doesn't care. Oh, but don't you fear, for He holds our future. Let all heaven and earth proclaim our Jesus still reigns. He still reigns. He sits high above the mountains. He now and glory, and all power 
yesterday, I went out to the rest home and sang for a group of people out there who had a lot of needs. Everybody in there was in a wheelchair or in a bed that had been rolled in. And here we sit this morning with our health, with our happiness, and with all the blessings of God bestowed upon us. And I praise his holy name this morning that he allowed me to come this way and to worship him, for he is God. He is still on the throne, and he knows our needs, and he can supply all of those needs according to his riches and glory. We should praise his name this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb of God. Praise the Lamb, the God that taketh away all the sin of the world. Go ahead, Rick, when you get ready up there and play that again. I'm not getting to talk to you. He supplied your needs this morning. <laughs> Praise him for it. Praise his holy name. <laughs> Praise his name. He's worthy. <laughs> I asked the dear Savior what he purchased for me when at Calvary he died for all my sin and all my problems. He just said that he Peace and 
all of God's people said Amen. take your Bible to 1st Timothy chapter 2 1st Timothy chapter 2 you know occasionally there might be those that might visit with us that don't understand everything that's going on here and may think that maybe we're charismatic we're not not in any way fashion or form but we just believe that when you come to church you come to church to meet the Lord and you meet God, and He meets your needs, and He works in your heart. And He is worship. As the Scripture said unto Him, be glory in the church. We come to church not only to get something, but we come to church to give something. And it's been a blessing already this morning. Amen? Amen. I can't wait till I get you Comanches on TV. I'm looking forward to that. Amen? I really am. <laughs> And if, if we're excited about that, that's coming. We're, in fact, we began ordering equipment this week. It's a lengthy process, just making sure you get everything you need, but I'm looking forward to it. This whole world's hungry for something that's real and hungry for folks in love with the Lord and not inhibited in their worship and praise, not ashamed of being saved, and I'm looking forward to it. First Timothy 2, let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. And I want us to think this morning about pray first not last we've been thinking about first things first we've been going into the, looking into the scripture and looking at some of the things that the Bible uh, calls first things or matters that are to be put first in our life I want to point out another one to you and there's one more that we'll look at next Sunday morning 
But I want us to look this morning at this particular one. Notice what Paul said, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, there's our first, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men and the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then for just a little while this morning, I'll bring you the message from our scripture today on pray first, not last. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we could stop right now and go home. And our hearts have been blessed and our hearts have been ministered to. And Father, our hearts have been warmed and we have worshiped. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've already done. To you be praise and honor and glory. You deserve all the glory. And dear Lord, it is our desire that we do nothing to rob you of one ounce of the glory that belongs to you. So we offer up to you our praise and our hearts and our wheels and our minds that everything about them will bring glory to you. Now, Father, we want to learn what means the most to you and what is important to you and so that it will be important in our life. We want first things to be first in our life. So speak to us today as we seek to study from the Scripture what you consider to be the priorities of our life as a believer. So help us now to understand the Word of God. Fill me with the Holy Spirit now to share the Word of God. And we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Someone has written, imagine praying and hearing this. Thank you for calling my father's house. Please select one of the four options. Press 1 for request. Press 2 for thanksgivings. Press 3 for complaints. And press 4 for oh, all other inquiries. Or imagine hearing all other angels are helping other customers right now. Please stay online. Your call will be answered in the order that it was received. Or imagine getting these kind of responses. If you'd like to speak with Gable, press 1. For Michael, press 2. For any other angel, press 3. If you want David to sing you a psalm, press 6. To find out if your relative is here, enter his or her date of death and listen for the list that follows. For reservations, simply press the letters J-O-H-N on your keypad followed by the numbers 316. Or imagine calling, praying, and you hear this, this office is closed for the weekend. Please, when there is an emergency, we can go directly to the Father. No operator assistance is necessary. And all lines are open to heaven 24 hours a day. And it doesn't matter who's praying or how many's praying, our Father gives us His undivided attention. Aren't you glad for that today? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. And Jesus had a lot to say about prayer. 
The Apostle Paul had a lot to say about prayer. In fact, in the Scripture before us, we find something that Paul says about prayer. In fact, you'll notice here in our text that he calls prayer a first thing or a thing that is to be first in our life. As I mentioned a moment ago, over the past few weeks, we've been thinking about first things first, and we've been looking at things that are to be first in our life as a believer. Well, today, I want you to notice from the Scripture what the Bible has to say about prayer being a first thing in our life. Real quickly, let me give you three things from our text. The first one I want to major upon, and then I'll give you the other two in closing today. But I want you to think with me, first of all, about underestimating the place of prayer underestimating the place of prayer. You see, in the first eight verses of chapter 2, Paul is talking about the subject of prayer. Notice what he said in verse 1. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. And verses 1 through 8, he's talking about prayer. I would point out in the very beginning that chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, is polemic. And by that, I simply mean that Paul is saying there is something is wrong, and these verses have been given to set the matter right. Now, you say, what is wrong? Well, the opening statement would seem to suggest that the place of prayer was underestimated in the life of the believers and underestimated in the life of the church. Paul, that's why he begins by saying, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, that word exhort there is a word that speaks of a strong, passionate appeal. And what you might say, Paul, in the very beginning, he says, I come to you. He passionately begs with them and pleads with them to listen to what he's got to say and to understand what he's about to say. Now, what is he so earnest about? Again, the verse would suggest that he's earnest about this matter of prayer. I beseech you, he says, I plead with you and I exhort you that first of all, you see the phrase first of all, it denotes the primacy of importance. Paul is saying, I'm pleading with you. I want you to understand that prayer in your life is not a trivial matter. And Paul is saying, I beg you to listen to me carefully, and I plead with you to understand that prayer is not a trivial matter, but a very, very important matter in your life as a believer. You might say what Paul is saying is, don't underestimate the place of prayer in your life. I would say that many of us today, when it comes to the subject of prayer, it is a subject that we underestimate. We really don't look at prayer the way that it ought to be looked at in our life as a believer and even in the church. For example, let me just point out two areas. When I think about the matter of underestimating the place of prayer, let me just point out two areas in which I think we underestimate. One, I think about in our attitude or our attitudes. Now, when I speak of attitudes, I'm talking about how we feel about prayer. When I talk about our attitude about prayer, I'm talking about what we think about prayer. The truth of the matter is many of us take prayer very, very lightly in our life. And we're not to take prayer lightly. Instead, we're to see prayer as an essential matter in our life. We're to look at prayer as a very vital part of our life. Not look at it as trivial, but look at it as very, very important. Not taking prayer lightly, but realizing how vital, how essential prayer is to our life. Someone has said prayer is not a supplemental part of our life. It is a fundamental part of our life. In other words, prayer is critical to the life of the church. Prayer is critical to the life of the believer. And we must have the attitude that this is something that is essential in my life. I think about what Martin Luther said. Listen to what Luther said. He said, if I fail to spend two hours in, in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. 
He said, I have so much business, I cannot go on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Now, what was Luther saying? What was Luther's attitude concerning prayer? Luther's saying, prayer is vital to my life. Luther is saying, I've got to pray every day of my life. It's not just a trivial matter. It's an essential matter in my life. I think of George Mueller. George Mueller may be one of the greatest models of prayer and faith that church history has ever known. What an amazing story, the story of George Mueller. But I want you to listen to what George Mueller said. Mueller said, for more than half a century, I have never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For 40 years, I've had annually about 30,000 letters, and most of those passed through my own hands. I've had nine assistants at, always at work corresponding in German, French, English, Danish, Italian, Russian, and other languages. And then as pastor of a church of 1,200 believers, great has been my care. I've had the charge of five orphanages. Also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulation of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work till I've had a good season with God. And what was Mueller saying? Mueller was saying the same thing Paul was saying, that prayer is to be a very important matter in our life. It is to be a priority. That first of all, when it comes to the matter of prayer, we've got to understand and see that prayer is not a small matter. It is a major matter. So it begins in our attitude, understanding that prayer is vital, understanding that prayer is essential, understanding that prayer is critical to the church and critical to me as a believer and to you as a believer. Understand that prayer must be seen as more than some kind of heavenly STP that you put into your life to make your life run smoother. It is vital to you as a child of God in our attitude. Well, let me think, let me just say a word about another area. Not only underestimating in our attitudes, but also in our actions. You see, if most of us were honest today, we'd have to admit that prayer means nothing more to us than just something to bail us out when we're in trouble. Am I not right? Many treat prayer like a spare tire. And many treat prayer like a fire department. It's something to be used only when you need it. I think about one fellow I read about that went hunting on Sunday. I know nobody here does that, so we're talking about somebody don't go to church here, but uh, say amen. But this fellow went hunting on Sunday. It was deer season. And so he laid out a church to go deer hunting. Well, he's sitting there in his tree stand when all of a sudden this big grizzly bear comes charging through the bushes and straight to his tree. When it gets to its tree, it rears up on its hind legs and wraps its paws around the tree, and he begins to shake that tree, growling as loud as he could. It so startled the fellow that he dropped his gun, and it fell down to the bear on the ground. And the poor old fellow started praying as hard and as loud as he could. Oh, God, you know I'm not much of a praying man, but oh, God, please forgive me for not praying. Oh, God, please forgive me for missing church today. And he named sin after sin after sin. Oh, God, forgive me all my sins. And Lord, if you'll make a Christian out of this bear, I'll pray and go to church every Sunday. All of a sudden, the bear stopped, fell down on its four legs and bowed its head and said, Oh, Lord, Thank you for this food I'm about to eat. Say amen right there. <laughs> but many of us, we only pray when we're in trouble. We pray when everything else has failed. 
When we've come to the end of our abilities and when we come to the end of our resources, then we pray as a last resort. But prayer is to be a first result, resort. Prayer is to be the first thing that we do, not the last thing that we do. It should be the first thing in our actions. When needs come in our life, don't wait till you can't do anything yourself before you pray. Pray first. That's what he's talking about. Not only in our attitude that it's critical to us, but it's to be the first thing that we do, first in our life, first in our actions. S.D. Gordon said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is to pray. It's not the only thing, but he said, it is the chief thing. Oswald Chambers said, if in the first waking moment of the day you learn to fling the door back and let God in, every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. We should learn to make prayer the first action. We should learn to make prayer the first step. We should learn to make prayer the first response. We should learn to make prayer our first resource, our first resort. Not when we can't do anything ourselves. Not when we've come to the end of our own abilities and resources. But pray first, not last. Pray first. I think about something E.O. Bound said particularly to ministers, but he would apply to every Christian. He said prayer is the first thing, the second thing. And the third thing necessary to a minister, pray then, my brother, pray, pray, pray. And I would say to every Christian today, prayer is the first thing. Prayer is the second thing. Prayer is the third thing. So my brother, pray, 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 pray. Pray first, not last. Let prayer be a first matter in your life. Don't underestimate the place of prayer in your life. Look at the second thing in the text. Now, he's no. Not only do I give you a word about underestimating the place of prayer, but I want to give you a word about understanding the practice of prayer. As you look at verse 1, you see that Paul used four different words to describe prayer. He talked about supplications. He talked about prayers. He talked about intercessions. He talked about the giving of thanks. Now, all four of these words or terms could be used interchangeably to describe prayer. But the fact that the Spirit of God through Paul here distinguishes each one of them in this verse and gives all four of them in that one verse would indicate that he's talking about four different types or kinds of prayer. What kind of prayer is he talking about? For one, he's talking about the prayer of supplication. He talks about supplication. You see that word there in verse 1? The word that is used speaks of an intense entreaty, even to the point of begging. Begging because something is lacking. Or something is missing. You see, what he's talking about is praying because there is a need in your life. Something is missing. There's a lack there. You have a need. Therefore, you're praying because of that need. Supplication is when we pray about our needs. Aren't you glad today we can pray about our needs? Ronnie sung a moment ago, every need supplied. Thank God he does supply every need. Let us come therefore boldly on the throne of grace, the Bible said, that we might find grace to help in the time of need. Supplication is when we pray about our needs. Are there needs in your life today? Pray about them. That's what he's telling you to do. Pray about them. Look at the second type of prayer. He not only talks about the prayer of supplication, but he talks about the prayer of adoration. For the second word that he uses is the word prayers. The word supplication could be used to address both man or God. You come into a man, pleading with some man, say, I've got a need in my life, will you help me? Or coming to God, saying, I've got a need in my life, would you help me? But the word prayers that is used there, the only time it's ever used in the Bible, it is always in a matter of addressing God. 
And the idea behind the word prayers here is a word that implies worship. It is a word that implies reverence. It is a word that implies adoration. It's descriptive of how we come to God and the attitude in which we come to God. We come to God in an attitude of praise. We come to God in an attitude of worship and reverence and adoration. It is a matter of understanding that we're coming to God. We're not coming to the man upstairs, but we're coming to God. And you come to God with a sense of your own unworthiness and a sense of His worthiness and holiness. It's a prayer of adoration. May I say it anytime you pray? You ought to come, take a few minutes, spend time, give praise to God and worship God for who He is. The prayer of supplication, the prayer of adoration. But then he thirdly talks about the prayer of intercession. You see the word intercessions there? It's only found twice in the New Testament, and that's in the book of 1 Timothy here in our text and also in chapter 4 and verse 5. It is a word that means to fall in with a person to draw close to someone so as to enter into familiar speech or communion with, with that individual. To become attached to another is the ideal. When you talk about supplication, you're talking about bringing your needs to God, praying about the needs in your life. Prayers is a matter of reverencing God when you pray. But intercession is you not praying about your needs, but praying about the needs of others. That's what intercessions is. intercession is. It is coming to God on the behalf of someone else. It is more than, Lord, bless me, my four, and no more. It is praying for others. As D. Gordon said, the greatest thing we can do for God and man is to pray. Intercession is praying for the needs of others. But then there's a fourth type of prayer that he gives here. There's a prayer of supplication. There's a prayer of adoration. There's a prayer of intercession. But fourthly, there's a prayer of appreciation. You see, he talks about coming with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should always be a part of prayer. Prayer should always be accompanied with gratitude. Prayer should always be accompanied with thanksgiving. We should give thanks to God for previous answers to prayer. We should give thanks to God for the things that He gives us and the things that He does for us. Prayer should never be without thanksgiving. Amen? I love the little Our Daily Bread. Many of you get it and read it. And I remember one time reading a story about how in one region of Africa, the first converts of Christianity were very diligent about their praying. In fact, they were so diligent about their praying that each one of the believers in that village had their own special place out in the bush or the brush where they would go to pray. This was their own personal prayer rooms, and they were reached by their own personal prayer paths. Going out of the village, you see a little path going down through the woods. And what that was was a prayer path going out there where each believer went out there and found themselves a place to pray, and that's where they went every day. Well, when grass began to grow over the path, it became very evident that that person was not praying or was, was not like praying like they should or been slacking in the prayer life. And because these new Christians were so concerned about one, one another, they, whenever they noticed an overgrown prayer path, they had a unique custom. This is what they would do. They'd walk up to that person and they would say, Friend, there's grass on your path. And what they meant by that was, you're not praying like you need to be praying. Well, let me ask you something today. Peter or Paul, rather, might be, you could translate his words here, is there grass on your path? I exhort you, therefore, first of all, to pray. Is there grass on your path? Is there grass on the path of supplication? Is there grass on the path of adoration? Is there grass on your path of intercession? Is there grass on your path of appreciation? Don't let grass grow on your path. Put prayer first in your life. Pray about your needs. Worship God. Pray about the needs of others. 
Be thankful to God. Make prayer a priority in your life. Look at the third and final thing. You not only see that he has a word about understanding the place of prayer and understanding the practice of prayer, but he goes on, begins in verse 2, or the latter part of verse 1, moving to verse 2, he begins to talk about undertaking the process of prayer. He tells us that we should pray, why we should pray, how we should pray. And then he says in the latter part of verse 1 that prayer is to be made for all men. He said, now I want you to pray. I want you to understand prayer is a priority. It's vital. It's critical to you. Pray in your life. Pray. And this is the way I want you to pray. Now pray. And he begins to tell us that we should pray for all men. He encourages us to undertake the process of prayer. Now, he talks about all men. That phrase just simply refers to all men in general. It indicates there is nobody that we cannot pray for and there is nobody that we should not pray for. Now, you may have some loved ones that won't let you talk to them about the Lord, but they can't stop you from talking to God about them. Amen? Pray for all men. But notice carefully, quickly, that he breaks it down in two different categories. You notice that he talks about the subjects of our praying. He tells us in verse 2, pray for kings and for all that are in authority. He first tells us to pray for the leaders that are above us. You see the phrase king or the name king, title king there to us? It refers to national leaders. And, and as we as Americans, we would think of our president, we would think of our senators, we would think of our congressmen and so forth like that. He is telling us to pray for those that are above us. Pray for those that are in authority above us. Pray for our national leaders. Then he talks about also praying for those that are in authority. That would apply to all lesser government officials of various ranks. To us, it would mean our state senators, our state representatives, our county and city officials, and mayor and different ones like that. We are to pray for them. Now, we all have a tendency to criticize government. And I, I have to confess and put myself into that category because I do not have a lot of patience, patience with a lot of junk that's going on in Washington. But at the same time, we ought to pray for them. That's what he's telling us, to pray for the leaders that are above us. But not only that, down in verse 4, he tells us to pray for the lost that are around us. He said, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of truth? God wants all men to be saved. And God is telling us to pray for our children and pray for our families and pray for our loved ones. That's the subjects of our prayer. Our leaders above us and the lost around us. But not only the subjects of our praying, but the objects of our prayer. Notice specifically how we are to pray for them. He said in verse 3, he gives us that one objective of our praying is the glorification of God. He said in verse 3, for this is good. This is acceptable in the sight of God. The little word this there is a demonstrative pronoun which points us back to the command. The command is pray. And so he's telling us that prayer is good. It's excellent in its nature. It's excellent in, excellent in its characteristics. Prayer is acceptable in the sight of God. God welcomes prayer. God opens his heart to prayer. What he's saying is the ultimate object of prayer is to glorify God. I remind you prayer is not getting our will done on earth. It's getting God's will done in heaven. The ultimate ob objective of prayer is to glorify God. But not only the glorification of God, but the salvation of sinners. Verse 4 again, I point out, who would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You know what he's telling us? We are to pray for our lost loved ones, and we are to pray that God save them. We're to pray that God bring them back. You have family that's unsaved today. You have mom and dad that's unsaved. You know what he's telling us to do? That one of the priorities in our life ought to be, we are praying for their salvation. We are praying that God will save my mom and dad. 
We pray, I am to pray that God save my children, God save my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, God save my friends, God save my acquaintance. We are to pray for their salvation. Now, I know many of you are praying for your children. On top of the Lord's Day over here every Sunday morning at 920, and our teachers and officers are together early to pray. Week after week after week, many of you have said, Brother Ken, pray for my children. Pray for my family members. Pray for these. Well, may I remind you today and encourage you to pray for them and don't quit praying for them. That's what he said. Prayer is a priority in your life. And one of the priorities of our prayer is that we pray for the salvation of those that are lost. Let me give you this story in closing. I just recently read this story about a young soldier named Roger Sims. He'd just been discharged and was hitchhiking his way back home. The date was May 7th. He saw a car come in the distance. He stuck his thumb out. And a black, sleek, new Cadillac approached. And to his surprise, the car stopped. He threw his suitcase in the back, slid into the front seat. There sat a well-dressed gentleman behind the steering wheel. The man looked at him and said, going home? And Roger grinned and said, yes, going home for keeps this time. And a man said, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. He said, and he, and he told him where he was going. It was just, oh, 30, 40 miles south of Chicago. He pulled off. He said to the man, said, uh, do you live in Chicago? And the man said, uh, no, but I have a business in Chicago. And he told him that his name was Hanover. Well, they talked as the miles passed. Roger was a Christian. And during their journey, he felt compelled to talk to the man about being saved. But you know how we do many times. Uh, we kind of put it off. We think, no, I don't want to make him mad. He's picked me up or whatever there. We, we have that feeling, that compulsion in us to speak to someone, but we kind of put it off. But uh, he couldn't shake it. So about 30 minutes from home, he finally decided, if I don't talk to him now, I won't be able to talk to him. So he said, Mr. Hanover, I won't, I'd like to talk to you about something very, very important. And then he began to tell the man about the Lord Jesus and explain the way of salvation. And the man listened, and then just whipped his car off the side of the road. Roger said, I thought he was going to open the door and ask me to get out. But he said, to my surprise, when he got on the side of the road, he laid his head over the steering wheel and began to weep. And he said, I led that man to the Lord right there on the side of the road. And he said, Mr. Hanover looked at me and said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. He dropped Roger off, continued his journey. Five years went by. Roger married, had a little two-year-old boy, and had a small business of his own. There's a particular time when he had to go to Chicago. And so as he, as he was packing his suitcase, he found the business card that Hanover had given him five years earlier when he picked him up hitchhiking that day. And he thought, well, I'm going to look him up when I'm in Chicago and see how he's doing. So he located Hanover Enterprises in Chicago, Illinois. And when he walked in, he walked up to the reception and said, I'd like to see Mr. Hanover. The reception said it would be impossible for him to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. So she buzzed and she said to Mrs. Hanover, there's a gentleman here that knew Mr. Hanover. He walked in. His wife, Miss Hanover, walked over to him, stuck her hand out and said, you knew my husband? And Roger said, he began to tell her about the ride five years earlier. Told him about how he was discharged from the army and he was going home and how he'd pulled over and picked him up. And she said to him, can you tell me when that was? He said, oh, yes, I remember very well. It was May the 7th, the day I was discharged from the army. She said, do you remember what time it was? And where he let you out, and he told him whatever there. And he began to think, what is she, what is she saying? 
And Roger thought to himself, maybe do I need to talk to her about what I, what I, that I witnessed to him that day? Should I tell him about that? And he thought, well, since I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and do so. And he began to tell her about how he spoke to him about the need of Christ and how he pulled over the side of the road and laid his head on the steering wheel and wept and got saved. He was not ready for what happened next. She just exploded with sobs. She shook behind her desk as she wept. And she finally got her grip on herself and she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. For years I had prayed for my husband's salvation. I had believed that God would save him. For years I prayed for him. And Roger said, Miss Hanover, may I ask where your husband is? And in her sobs and tears, struggling to get the words out, she said, he's dead. And she said, from what you said, he died just a little while after he let you out in a car accident. He never got home. And she said, I thought for years God had not kept his promise. And she said, I quit serving God five years ago because I had thought God had not kept his word. I say to you this morning, if you've got loved ones that are unsaved, pray for them. It's what he says, pray for them. And don't quit praying for them. God's word is true. Do you believe that? Don't quit serving God. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Make prayer a priority in your life. And pray for those that are lost because God wants everybody to be saved. And he wants to say, everyone, pray first and make prayer a first thing in your life. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. First things first. We've looked at several of them. Put in the kingdom of God first in our life. Our decisions we make for God are to be first. Not that I'll do this first and then do what God wants. No, I'll do what God wants first and the other things that fall in place as His will would dictate. Serving Him, His Lordship, honoring God. These are the things we're to do first in our life. Even prayer is to be first. And next Sunday morning we're going to find out that our relationships with one another sometimes demand first things to be done. But prayer, pray first about it. Are there needs in your life today? Then I want to encourage you this morning. Many of you have already come and you've prayed about things. That's exactly what the Scripture is talking about. Pray first about them. First pray about these matters. Let prayer be a priority in your life, but it's something that you do first in your life. When you've got needs in your life, don't try to handle them yourself. Don't try to carry your burdens alone. Bring them to God. The first thing you do is take them to the Lord. Some of you need to come today and, and bring your burdens and bring your needs. Supplication. Come and say, God, there's a need in my life. I come today to pray about the matter. There may be some of you today that need to come to Christ. The first need in your life is to be saved. The first need in your life is to know you're going to heaven and you're not going to go to hell. First thing you ought to do is settle this thing once and for all that you know where you're going if you die. But you're not hoping and guessing and wondering. You know that Christ is your Savior and your sins are on the blood and heaven is your own. That's the first thing some of you need to do. And you get up out of your seat today and come to be someone to meet you here and show you from the Bible how you can be saved. But some of you, you ought to come today and say, Lord, one, I've treated prayer very lightly in my life. It's not been a big deal for me, but dear Lord, you said something ought to be a priority in my life. I'm going to make it a priority. You say it's something essential to me, something critical to me, then, Lord, I'm going to pray like all to. It's critical to this church. That's why we have prayer ministry. 
That's why we have services. There's always prayer in the service, several times in the services. Prayer is critical to us. And uh, you need to come. So I want to make it a priority in my life. Maybe there's things you need to pray about. Do so. That's what church is about. Amen? Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, if there are people here today that need to get saved, let them come. People here today that need to have a new attitude about prayer, may they come. People that need to pray about things, may they come. Father, people that need to get right with the Lord, may they come. People that need to unite with our church, may they come. Whatever the reason, whatever the purpose, Lord, help us today to see prayer as the first thing, not a last thing. In Jesus' name, amen.